Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we wanted to go back and do a deeper dive into NPCs, uh, much like we did with creating our environments. So in this episode, we talk about what makes a good NPC, uh, what can make a bad NPC, and why you might want to use one over the other, uh, both by having them string the players along and keeping them together on the plot, or using them as sort of a misdirection. All right, so we have done a huge deep dive into uh, environments, creating environments, um, using the five senses about what's important to the characters and how uh, those things are going to play into um, the world that they're playing in. Um, And we touched a little bit about NPCs as well, and I wanted to go back and do a deep dive on NPCs too. So what... Um, do you have like any core beliefs as to what makes a quote-unquote good NPC in terms of, okay, this is a character that is not a, not somebody that I would play, not somebody a DM would play, but just a character that um, that you kind of want to have around that you know is going to be the good cop uh, and things? Like, is there something that... Oh, wait, I thought you meant like a good a high-quality NPC, but you mean kind of like a good guy NPC? No, no, just... No, sorry. No, not at all. Like, um, okay, when we had Nathan on last time, he uh, we we talked about Melth. And that was like an NBC that... What, did I say his name wrong? You said NBC. NPC. <laughs> NPC. NPC, yeah, that's right. That, um, that was memorable. Like, we... In that game, we came uh, across so many NPCs. Like they were, yeah, and you just said it, man. You just said it. Memorable. What do the players like, and what's memorable to them? That's what makes a good NPC. All the other shit that I come up with that I think is cool is just stuff that I think is cool. All right, but what makes a good NPC is one that the players want to interact with, that they want to. Uh, listen to or whatever the case may be whatever you're uh, you know some like as you said before they act the npc kind of can act as a messenger but they're more than that there's so much more than that and i don't like to think of the npcs as messengers per se they can be they can be they can also be disinformation artists just depending on how you plan on using them what type of um, kind of alignment the npc might have uh, what kind of traits that NPC might have. That has more to do with it, to me, than what I need at the time out of the NPC. Um, and then that other stuff comes later, How, like a delivery service. You had mentioned in one of the earlier episodes, a computer can be a good delivery service, or an NPC could be that delivery service if they don't have a hacker. So it, it is kind of a, to quote a wise man, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, but what makes a good NPC is if they're memorable or not. That's long story short, in my opinion. So obviously we want to tie into things that, um, 
relate back to the characters. So, and again, this goes back to kind of like the environments and stuff where um, we were talking about like, well, what's a good way to kind of slow the players down? And the way you do that is by um, tying back into their backgrounds and their storylines that they've created for themselves and then kind of hinting at those things to see if it builds um, a conversation. Um, we've also talked about railroading, which again is something that I am guilty of big time back in the day of railroading our players to go a very certain direction. So, and I've noticed in some of your games too, well, let me, let me preface it this way. So when is a good time, um, to have an NPC that is not a good NPC, like in terms of, uh, morality, um, oh, this time we are talking about alignment and such. Right? Yes. So, <laughs> and the reason I bring this up is because there's been a time or two um, in the games that we've played where we have met an NPC, uh, the party has met an NPC, and we're like, oh, we're looking for information, we're gathering information. And the NPC is very boisterous and kind of boasts up, and it's like, oh, well, blah, 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 you want to go down here, you want to turn right. And you kind of give us as a as a DM, you give us like a look, like a look that isn't legit. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, you know when we're in person, I want to role play, I, and I can't help but to role play how that character's facial expressions might be, and I get a little devious sometimes, and sometimes I get devious with what I'm saying. And my face matches. And sometimes I'm being completely honest and I give that devious look. You know, it's kind of like poker that way. But um, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about because I don't want to have to roll for skill checks every single time. Like, oh, uh, I want I just want you guys to know that he seems fake. There, there's something about this guy that's illegitimate. You know, and I, without having to say, there's something about this guy that seems illegitimate. Right. You know, of course, I can do it straight faced as well and see if you guys come up with a uh, sense motive, please. Um, right. Well, yeah, that was the time because it was like, oh, man, this guy doesn't seem legit. Like, I kind of want to sense, want to do sense motive. And you were like, do you want to roll sense motive? We're like, yeah, we're going to roll sense motive. <laughs> yeah. That's a way that I, instead of me saying, Okay, guys, he just told you to go down to the corner and make a left. Give me a sense motive. I don't want to have to do that, you know, obviously. Um, but I could have done it that way. Or I could have waited to see if you guys had asked for a sense motive. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind, of, that's kind of a little different thing. That's more skill usage. And I, I feel like we can get into skill usage in a later episode because I can go on for episodes Maybe. days months yeah about using skills and how to use them um not necessarily effectively but creatively so we'll talk about that in the future that's a little touch on it right there but um back to the memorable npcs and the um the ill motive npc um sometimes npcs are a challenge not necessarily a fight but a social encounter so when you come across an NPC that you have planned that you think is a cool NPC, I mean, he may be a, a speed bump in the road for us. He may be a set of social encounter or a so, set of social skill checks. He may be 
um, a misinformation artist. He may not know he's spreading false information. It's possible to tell you guys the wrong stuff and be telling the truth. Just through ignorance. We all, Oh, like, okay. Just that, you, that is just his knowledge of the... Yeah, I saw the guy go down this way and turn left. However, what he doesn't know is that was an illusion. Oh, so, okay. I gotcha. You know, that's that's a ridiculous version of it, but just because somebody um, tells you something that they know doesn't mean what they know is correct. So there's there's also those things. Those are all th all things to consider when you when you're dealing with information from an NPC. What do you want as a storyteller or as a DM? What are you trying to to convey? What are you trying to do here? Is it an encounter? Is it a social encounter? Is it a social encounter that could turn into a combat encounter? Is it a social encounter that could turn into a cohort? Um, is it going to be a recurring NPC? What type of information? Because it's really easy to say, well, the bar we go to the bartender and ask him because he sees a lot of faces. We all think that way. And I mean, I'll bet in every, and at least one of every storytellers game in their life the characters have wandered into a bar and said hey barkeep did you see a guy that met this description come this way well he has a certain type of information so that's important to consider from your npc's viewpoint you know the bartender only has so much information and what the people there are telling him may not be the truth or just what they've heard names could be wrong Somebody who knows that people might be looking for them or knows that they're up to no good may be using aliases. So if you go in and say, we're looking for Dirk Diggler. I've never seen, I've never heard of anybody by that name. Because Dirk might be going by a different name. Just things to consider. What type of information do they have and how accurate is it? So I guess, again, it kind of sounds like a lot of that information is really coming from the players where... Like you may have created this really cool NPC and you know, the players could care less about it, but the information's still important, so maybe the information gets shifted to another NPC that for whatever reason they seem to like more and then you just kinda of build off of them. It could. Um I like to think of it as part of the puzzle. Now, when we hear puzzle and D and D we often think, oh, I got to match up letters or it's a crypto quip or I've got to decipher something or move this before I move that or twist this direction before I twist that. But that's not necessarily always the case. My favorite types of puzzles are the, the lies you hear and sifting through them because a lot of people will tell you lies if it suits them. And in my game especially, and I know that you've been a privy to this, you will hear lots of lies, and if you hear enough lies, you should be able to discern which ones are wrong and why. You can mix in a little bit of the truths that you get with it and start to figure it out, mostly through skill checks or other information that you've witnessed yourself. But then you can start to see who's lying and why and where that takes you, and that, and that can fuel an entire campaign with just a few little things. And um, I often hear, I'm going to kind of skip ahead to like overarching story where we work on that in the future, but I hear of a lot of people saying, I want my world to take place with, um, it's got seven continents on it, and uh, all but one of those continents are inhabited by great kingdoms, and there's going to be this type of king, and there's that type of king, and, and I like to say, well, you know, who's my next door neighbor? I don't, you know, I don't know if I care about the guy on the other side of, of, uh, of the world. 
maybe I've heard of them and that's fine. You know, write that stuff down and let me glance over it later because that might be all the information I actually have about that. But what's more important to me is what does the guy next door look like? You know, what does, um, you know, what do I hear on a daily basis? Do I hear about the guy or halfway around all the people all the way around the world on a daily basis? Is that really what I'm hearing? You know, um, we can start small with a lie. One lie. The princess has been kidnapped. It's kind of a cheesy one, but let's go with that old trope. The princess has been kidnapped. That could be a lie. Somebody may be hiring you for another reason altogether to get you investigating into the, the princess's disappearance. But really, she's just gone away on vacation somewhere. And so you asking about the princess gets a lot of attention by town guards. Of course it would. You're asking about the princess's disappearance all of a sudden. Right. And we've just created a story, man. Now these other guys, you can create whatever motivation they had for getting you to follow this lie. Then you've got an entire storyline planned out because those those players are going to want to get to the bottom of what's happening. And you could go for sessions before you ever hit the first part of an adventure just by telling a lot. So let's start small there. And, and you know, and don't give the players too many things and i know i'm guilty of that with you guys but you guys are all so smart and you figure out the simple shit easily but overall overall in the grand scheme of things start very simple with your storylines and then have the npcs related to those simple storylines and you convolute it and make it complex with how those npcs relate to the storyline yeah there's definitely been times now that that you mentioned it like i'll, I'll think back where um, I feel like maybe it's actually just been groups of people that uh, either they're of one alignment or another or maybe of one religious ideology or another and it's like oh all these people are crazy like all they say is crazy stuff like none of this information we can really use but there's been a couple of times where it's like that piece of information became true and it may be I mean no fault of our own because we basically railroaded um, this entire religion as just being nuts, you know, and like just moved on with our time. And they, we ended up maybe going down the wrong path because of it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if, and it's, again, it leads back to that type of information. What information did they have? What made you think they were crazy? You know, like, because they had something, but then you find out later on the value in what they were doing and they were just, you know, um, a little twisted, a little convoluted by it. They were a little uh, excessive in their ways. They were devout to a cause. Um, and then, you know, you throw alignments and tendencies in there, and of course, religion is born. But uh, beyond all that, you know, there, there, are, there are motives by in certain NPCs. So if you go into like a religious cult, somebody had a motive somewhere along the line and it's important as a storyteller when you create that religious cult what is that motive what motive started all of this and then you want to hide it in the back of your head and then you can kind of create that religious sect around whatever they teach and they're never going to tell their followers hey you know i basically want you here doing this because it makes me rich or because of whatever um Maybe they actually believe everything that they, they say. But a lot of times in cults like that, there's a 
fair bit of falsehood going on. Or what the good guys might consider falsehoods. Right, yeah. I mean, has there ever... Has there ever been a... Would there ever be a good time rather than just... um, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Would there ever be a good time where you want an NPC to give false information? Like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we're when we're just talking about religious cults here, that's a great time. You know, especially if the if this religious cult is doing. Let's create one right now. Let's talk about it. Well, let's say there's a religious cult that is mining away at this seemingly useless material to you. It's it, it can't be worked into metal. It's kind of a it doesn't have any kind of magical powers. It, it's not especially pretty to look at. There's no way to harness anything from it. Let's say that that's the case, and they're doing so because they believe it's holy. And so they'll tell you this complete falsehood that is true in their eyes. Well, we mine this material in order to offer it up to our gods. And now you've just given, you know, a direction. Oh, you offer this up. Okay, that's what you're doing here. You're doing this as an offering. Okay, well... How do you offer it up? Oh, what we do is we take and we set it on this shrine in the middle of the night, and then we go away, and then this terrible monster comes, and uh, it eats it. It eats this stuff up. But we dare not be there, because we don't want to be there when this terrible monster comes, because it could it could kill us. It's a fearful monster. Well, what makes you afraid of it? It begs certain questions, right? So then, oh, well, you know, people have been killed by this monster. We found bodies completely mangled. Um, so it gives you something to follow. Well, we're going to go there in the middle of the night. So you've just told this this lie. And I know you don't know that it's a lie right now. But uh, but you just told this lie so that the characters would be there to see this terrible monster come. Maybe we'll defeat it, right? Right, go there. yeah monster never comes but a, a thin man in a in a robe comes after everyone's left and he gathers all the ore up and takes it back to some other place where he is smelting it he infuses it into something and he's a crazy alchemist and he's figured out a way to do something magical with it and it and it gives you this really cool insight into that entire the inner workings of this cult if you follow him and and question him chances are um, he's going to be fairly well defended by probably cultists. And you'll have a series of encounters that lead up to this whole thing. But you've told a falsehood. And it was true to the person telling it when you used your... Uh, what's the word for it? Hold on a second. Uh, just kind of like... Um, I mean, you're spinning a tail, but you're not... It's a it's a falsehood, yeah. Yeah, it's a. <coughs> it's um. Sense motive—that's the word I was looking for. A person could tell you this tale. You sense motive, and it's it's honest. That doesn't make it the truth. So right. We, yeah. So those are the signs. Like, yeah, he's telling the truth, as he knows it. Like, it's one of those. Correct. Okay. And and now you've been led to the actual truth, where you can convert cultists or get them to turn away or say, well, that's this isn't true why maybe they're beneficiaries of the magic that's being worked in this cave somewhere you know whatever the case may be let your imagination run wild with that stuff but that's that's a time when you might want to spread 
false information to progress the story. And there's all kinds of time like that. Like I said, with the princess kidnapping, you might tell a falsehood to, uh, to, to, uh, lead the characters to the story. Um, maybe that one could have been detected through a sense motive role, you know, and, and there, there's, I mean, I could come up with innumerable times when I've done this to you, <laughs> specifically you, let alone right. the other, other players in the group. I, when you want to lead someone somewhere, when that information begs more questions, because it either A, doesn't make sense from my perspective or my belief system, but you're begging to be followed, like for it to be followed up. Don't just tell a lie that nobody cares about. Otherwise, no one will ever know it was a lie and whole grand scheme of things they may believe it as the truth for as long as they live i could tell you that this lie and it's a mundane lie uh, we're just gathering up this ore because we use it to create these baubles that we wear well that's not very interesting <laughs> right yeah <laughs> okay i believe you yeah there'd be um, no reason for the party to question that because it's they're wearing it right it doesn't seem out of the ordinary and the lie could be something altogether different and it's not and it'll never get uncovered if that all this alchemy stuff is going on in a cave if you don't make it interesting so uh i think you tell you can tell a lie to lead someone somewhere as long as it begs more questions and the breadcrumbs are enticing enough to pick up and follow so i guess that's a part of it too because you don't i feel like if you told a lie as an npc hoping that the players catch on that it's a lie to do some sort of sense motive or to go against whatever the player was saying. Like, it seems super counterproductive. Like, it sounds like if the NPC himself or herself doesn't believe in the lie as factual, then it's kind of pointless to even say the lie in the first place. Does that make sense? No, that um, I can see where you're coming from. However, being caught in a lie makes this person more interesting. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, what else are they lying about? And why did they lie? Now, you can make that lie. The the why did they lie? Um, the interesting thing, if you mean for them to be caught. If it's an outrageous lie, they the party sense motive, and they know he's he's lying, and they poke and prod some more. This whole thing needs to be interesting then. Um on especially on the why is he lying aspect right yeah because then that opens the doors to things that that's kind of the uh the 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 literary sense of show don't tell exactly yeah yeah um so the and this all goes back to the one thing where i kind of got sidetracked because it's no D D four twenty. Making the NPCs interesting. Uh, a lie is interesting, you know, especially if we know it's a lie, or if we don't believe it, but it seems to be the truth. That's very interesting. Let's, um, and that's one way you can make an NPC interesting. Um, I mean, there's so many ways to make interesting NPCs, and, and you know, a little bit of the work that we did not to not to go too far back onto track which is off track at the at this point <laughs> but to go back to the uh how we make npc interesting we did a lot of work when we wrote down 
a bunch of names, what race that people are, um, some uh, characteristics and traits about uh, these people, and some uh, job titles. So we have a name, a race, whether they're male or female, a couple things, you know, that we start to put together. And the reason we did that is because we even want the generic guy standing on the corner who happens to be flapping out his rug to have life in our world. We don't necessarily want his name to be Gus, and he's just simply flapping out a uh, a rug. And right. he stops to talk to, all he knows to say is, I'm flapping out my rug. Right, exactly. What is this, a fucking video game? No, yep. this is D&D. This is a real living, breathing world. If you stop and, hey, did you see anybody coming through here? Well, that guy's name is Stodham. Um, and he he's especially fidgety, and you can pick up on that right away. And you and you can, uh, when asked about what he does for a living, he tells you that he's a barber, that he not only cuts hairs, but he performs minor surgeries uh, and shaves men uh, and gives tonics to women and uh, sells perfume and, and has a, a cure for the common cold or whatever. Now, Stodham just became an interesting guy. Whether he has anything to do with the story at all, we won't even know. So long as he's interesting, now maybe it's time. Now it's Stodham's time to tell a lie, <laughs> and, and you know, uh, you don't even know who the NPC. That if you want to have a lie told, you may not even know who's going to tell it until it happens. With with my method anyway, which is the fun part of, I think, DMing in my eyes is that I I'm figuring this stuff out as I go sometimes as well because we've gone quote unquote off track. Sure. Well, you're never off track in my game. Go wherever the hell you want. You're never off track. There'll be information somewhere to be had. Sometimes it can seem a little, uh, I don't know, planned or whatever. Because, oh, how do we find that out all the way out here? So long as you can tie it back in a believable way, you're okay. If it gets to the point where you can't tie it back in a believable way, you may just want to change the story change the direction they're heading and that's why it's i think i said in one of the earlier sessions it's kind of important not to plan too far ahead yeah i mean i can just that from you saying that like i remember now i can remember back on certain instances where it's like we split up like we make it to a town and we're like all right let's just split up and like just try to find out if we can further our game blah 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 and then, like, one person and or one character comes across an NPC, and it literally comes like, hey, this guy's got interesting shit to say. We don't know if it's real or not, but come on, hang out. And then suddenly it's this, you know, it's this hour-long conversation with this NPC that, you know, from a player standpoint, it all feels like it's planned. You know what I mean? Like, it always feels like all of this has been planned from the get-go. But it's there's so much, like, behind the curtain where it's like, oh, no, let's fudge this and let's put this with this now and now i was gonna do this later but i have to do it now because this guy does this now and this said this guy said this and blah 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 like it's so it's so (laughs) (laughs) mind-boggling do you know what i mean like Uh, i mean it's what you've got to do in order when the characters don't do when the players don't make the decisions you want them to make and the characters don't do the thing you wanted them to do so you just gotta either you know adapt or abandon ship and i've done both many times i adapt quite a bit and uh 
and spread the story. But, you know, a lot of the places you go are highly populated. And when you get a, a, uh, a really high roll on a gather information, you're going to find that needle in the haste. We all know Tommy. Oh, Tommy, Jesus. if you're listening out there, the guy always has an, like 12 Plus points 12, in gather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Every time, man. You know, so when you get a 24 on your gather information, oh, that's... That's godlike. I mean, it's... Uh, not quite godlike, but it's... It's, man, it's close. You're a private investigator of some repute. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's not even rolling high. We've all heard uh, the player shout out when you go, give me a gather information, everybody who's asking around town. It's, oh, I got a 12, 16, 31. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that is godlike. That's uh, that's the guy who gathers information. <laughs> yeah. It's the rest of us just put our skill points in something else. Like, no, he's got it. He's fine. Like, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's that's something else as a DM we can talk at some point when care, you know, that's a, that's another discussion as well. Yeah. How to, how to how to help your players make a group if they don't know how. But but we're lucky we've got players that know how to make a good party and know what it takes to make a good party. Yeah, so. I feel like and again, this is just me speaking from the games that I've played in, but like I don't think I've ever played in a game not with not like within this guild where I've been like, "Oh, we're lacking something." Or somebody's not pulling their weight. Like I've never really felt that. Well, thank you. You're I'll welcome. take that as, as a <laughs> it's as a, a little compliment. Bit of a, a little bit of a compliment there. But, but I mean like I've I played would be in doing games. a bad job. I would be doing a bad job, I feel like, if that happened. But like um, I've I've definitely played in games before. Um not not your games, but other games where it's like either like there's one player who knows the rules too well or knows how to manipulate the rules beyond the fact of like playing. So a perfect example of the DM sets up a position where it's like, all right, we well, guys can go one of two ways. If you go t- through route a, you know, there's a possibility you might have to roll for fortitude or roll for will or something like that, or some sort of skill check. Or if you go for B, then nothing really happens and nobody, you know, it's just kind of like the boring way. It's the way that nobody wants to go because we're playing D and D. So everybody wants to go route a, except for that one player who thinks, Okay, there's no way I'm going to pass a skill check, so I'm just not going to do it. And it's like, yeah, man, like, come on, like, just play with the group. You know what I mean? So, um, well, you just said another mouthful. We're going to get into it another time when, when players aren't, you quote unquote, pulling their weight or aren't fun to play with things that you can do. And that's one of those instances, unfortunately. Sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with. Um, how the character was built or how the game was put together for those characters. Um, sometimes it simply has to do with the player themselves not understanding the game or having that self-defeatist attitude. And those are there's so many things. Again, we could spend episode after episode, but we're going to boil that down in just a couple of episodes from now. Um, so back to NPCs then. Yeah, yeah, so um oh, come on, smoke another one, buddy. Jesus, let's close it out with um what is one of your favorite NPCs that you have created and one that you have played against that you have not created? Ooh. And why? Um uh, Gosh, ones that I've created. 
Are we talking about like NPCs, not like bad guys? I could be bad guys. Oh gosh, bad guys That's are fine. Big. We'll call. It, well, we'll say big bad guys. Like, can we do three of them then? Jesus, Jim, just just. <laughs> Yes, we could do three. Okay, okay, we're gonna do. We're gonna uh, do. We're, he's gonna NPC. do three. He's gonna do three. Right. <laughs> we're gonna do NPC, uh, not necessarily big bad guy. Okay. Um, okay. So I, one of my favorite NPCs I've made was in an Amistopia campaign, and gosh, man, I don't know if I remember who all was in this, but I believe his name was Gav. Okay, and Gav was a half ogre and he was tall and he was handsome for a half ogre. He wasn't what humans might call handsome, but any ogres would would think that he was very handsome. He was very charismatic, um, which kind of goes against the ogre thing. Again, not that he's beautiful or anything, but that he's very charismatic and handsome in his own way. And he was well muscled. He didn't have the uh, kind of unsightly proportions of a true ogre. From, and he got that from his human side. Um, what I, I don't know if I ever revealed to the party, what it turned out was that um, he was actually from royal stock in uh, the great country of Einoch, which is in Amistopia. Uh, the great kingdom of Einoch, I'm sorry. And he was directly related to the Sorcerer King. So he had that sorcerer's blood, that royal blood. Um and that was the human side of him. But he was a lot of fun because I, I, I did use him in a very traditional way like that you kind of have been considering, like an information guy or somebody that can help the party. And he went with the party a couple of times as a, uh, uh, I think they call it a DMPC. Okay. Dungeon Masters <laughs> player character. Did I say that right? Man, who knows? I, I, I don't know There's what the a lot kids of letters. are saying these days. <laughs> but uh, he was a lot of fun to play because he was extremely memorable. He had he was highly skilled in certain areas, kind of like the wolf in the party, where he could take care of, not wolf like the traditional sense of an animal, but from Pulp Fiction, the wolf. Right, yeah. <laughs> where he could just get shit done. Shit, and he's... bro, that's all you had to say! <laughs> so he was super fun to play because he was memorable. He had interesting scars, tattoos that all had stories behind them. Without getting too much more into Gav, he helped the party in many ways. And I know that Tommy, for one, will remember this guy because he's the only person I remember actually being there in that game. Because I know that he was there because he's been in my game, my main game, every single time, just about mm. 1997. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, anyway, uh, so that's one of my favorite NPCs that I've gotten a chance to play. Um, and as far as NPCs, uh, what else did you ask for? Um, NBCs that you played against, so maybe not ones that you created, but ones that you've played in with a, within a campaign. Nathan's game. Um, uh, he's had a, he's had a couple that I thought were simply amazing, and a couple I I loved to hate. But I I will say that um, my favorite NPC of his, and I've got to choose him because he's got just such a great cast of NPCs. Uh, but I'm going to pick Jiminy Fiddlesticks. We go into a pub in one of his games, and this guy's got rings all, and he's a, uh, I believe he's a halfling. He's a halfling, and he's kind of a chubby halfling. 
and he's jovial. He's got the rosy. I picture him with the rosy cheeks and red hair and maybe even a little freckles, kind of a young looking appearance in light of his age. Uh, and I don't know if that's all true or not, if I'm, I'm describing him properly, but he was really memorable because he was he was so charismatic. I love charisma characters. That might just be my thing. Mm. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah. he was so charismatic, but we knew he was a rogue. We friggin' knew it. We knew he was kind of up to no good, but he would clap his hands, and when those rings would bang together, they would cut, you'd hear it. And so and he, and he would just... Nathan has this habit of rubbing his hands together when he gets excited. Yeah. And, and I pictured that character doing that and hearing the rings clanking together. And um, he was the bar owner and he, they had a suggestion on those rings. So when they, when they would make a noise, it would cast the spell suggestion and whatever he said would be as if it were cast from him as a suggestion spell. And that was awesome because he was always clapping his hands together and rubbing them together, wringing his hands and saying, why don't you buy everyone another round? Yeah. Yeah. That was so cool, man. And uh, and then wasn't there to come with us or anything, but it was such a cool NPC. Um, Even though he kind of had a very common trope to him. Sure. Or common. We've seen this guy before. The way that it was done was clever and memorable and just and the way that nathan got so into the character i believe that he actually played that as a pc prior um in someone else's game but and maybe that's why i loved him so much so good beside the point there was a lot in that character and it really showed yeah and i was gonna do i was gonna do some oh my favorite big bad guy right yeah 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 yeah. Okay. Sorry, man. I'll make it quick and get out of your hair. <laughs> My favorite big bad guy, I made this dude named Drek Malifus. Even sounds like a big bad guy, right? Yeah, he does. He's got that big bad guy name to him. <laughs> he was an illusionist. And he was an illusionist that where illusion came naturally to him. His whole life he had lied to everyone. He lied about anything and everything all of his life. And I wanted to take a pathological liar and give him a bit of charisma. Imagine that. But more so, his lies were incredibly intelligent, incredibly well thought out, incredibly well preserved over time, um, both you know, as a story and the way I had to portray him in game, crafting these lies. So, again, he was an illusionist, and he was a very, very highly skilled illusionist, but his true interest, he actually had um, high skill points and um, knowledge humanoid anatomy. He was very interested in necromancy. He was very interested in, which was a forbidden school for him because of his illusion uh, stuff. It also ties into the story why he wanted that, because he could understand other magics but he could never quite wrap his head around the one thing he was so interested in. And that was life after death. How, and he wanted to know about the soul. He wanted to know about all these things. So to me, that made him really interesting. And he was a recurring villain that happened in my game over the course of a few books. And um, he gained the interest of a lot of people, not just the player character group, um, but in the story, he, you know, a guy like that, um, 
it starts to get powerful, people notice. And especially him, because he wanted people to believe that he had his fingers in necromancy. He started off as almost a carnival act, where he had these macabre shows that he did on a carnival circuit. Eventually, he took that carnival over and transformed it into a twisted, fucked up carnival that people who enjoyed it were probably sociopaths. But it was so amazing that it was the type of thing you couldn't look away. There were so many interesting acts, and I could probably, again, go on and on about this. But in order to preserve time, just know that it was macabre and interesting, and, and he showed all of these things that weren't necessarily true about anatomy. But he thought that he knew. And he knew because of taking bodies apart, and he thought he knew what these things did or what they were for. Like, he believed the lungs housed the soul. And that's what they were for and that you were feeding the soul by breathing and so he preached that and it was this interesting thing that uh that i i felt it was cool that i come up with and when i portrayed that to the party they thought what a fucking lunatic <laughs> and i thought good you know you're metagaming a little bit but that's what i wanted i wanted to give a specific feel with that information i wanted it to feel not right something's not right about this guy and you know the guy could bluff you all day yet high high bluff you know he had as he had more i think in bluff than he did in anything else even knowledge of arcana or knowledge of um or spellcraft i mean wow because he was more interested in in lying to you with his illusions making you believe that he was this great necromancer and over time he actually was able to uh to achieve some things by partnering up with people who were good at these things. And uh, eventually he gained, um, like I said, a very powerful necromancer friend. And when he was killed, he had the ability and he came back. Some of the gods took a special interest in him. And he's he's now cemented himself in my game as, as a power above. But he has been defeated a couple of times in the past. He just I, I let him live on for the sake of having this is something else i like to talk about with people having reusing npcs i reuse this drek malefus and he is now a deity and whether or not you know the backstory of this deity doesn't matter um because now he you take all that stuff that we know and we can tuck it aside and say that's what fuels this deity now i have this really cool um this really cool religion that's shaped after his beliefs and they are really set on making you believe there's this afterlife that not even really that do they even believe it you know and there's this really tense situation there going on uh, it's it's just extremely colorful so Drek Malifus is actually probably my all time favorite NPC to play even though he was a big bad guy um, yeah, it sounds like he's got a very like Magneto sense to him, where it's like he's a bad guy, but what he believes he's doing is right. He does. Yeah, he really does. And um, that you you encountered some of his cult before, if you remember in uh, the Saren Geth game. What was the name of your character when the sky fell? Uh, oh, um, uh, Daredus. Daredus. Daredus Bear Charger? 
Yeah, when you guys went to that northern town, blood seemed to ooze up out of the ground. Yeah, I do remember that. There. And then uh, I believe it was Derridus who shot the priestess in the face because it was so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Even though she was doing nothing wrong, yeah, Derridus was like, oh, was... This, this bitch crazy. Yeah. Oh, uh, so, you know, I, if you take Drac Malefus and you and I reskin him into this god and that people worship, there was the feeling that you got, and you got to live through that creepiness that was created by having a real backstory. Even though we may have not have experienced it all in that one particular game. No, you experienced enough of it to know that it wasn't yeah. holy, it was evil, all this other stuff. When Drek Dr- was very sinister and evil, you know, at yeah. heart. <laughs> he didn't think he was. He thought he was doing good again, you said. I, I think the one of the best NPCs that I played with um, was, again, from A Pirate's Life, was Willem. Because Willem, oh. Willem comes off as a kind of a high elf, um, very skillful, um, good at uh, sneaking around and hide and that kind of thing. So we were just taking advantage of him left and right. And it it hurt when he wasn't part of our group. Like when we would go into battle and we didn't have Willem with it, it was just like, man, this we are losing a vital part of this group when like we're struggling to get through these fights. And there was a lot of little things that you did throughout I mean, this was a what, like a three year game or something like that? Went about three and a half. Yeah, a little over three and a half years. Yeah. And like it from the beginning you were dropping these little hints about like the backstory of Willem and where he came from. And that kind of felt like you constantly talked about his slender hands. And like anytime we, um, we made camp or were on the ship and going uh, and taking watch for the night or something like that. Willem always went off to like a secluded location or off to his, uh, his own um, chambers or like into a tent or something just you know absent of the rest of the group which again at the time as a player didn't think much of they're like oh this is just a again to me it was just a very oh this is just a characteristic of this character like this is just right, a, a trait he had a, he had a hood and he wore a, a mask over his mouth and nose right and he was very secretive so going off yeah going off on your own and hiding out in a tent somewhere yeah not that big a deal like it just you know he was happy enough to be running around with us we were happy to have him so you know we don't push buttons that kind of thing and then we have this huge firefight and the the ship that we're fighting like burns down and um like somebody tries to take over our ship it was a big fucking battle like huge 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 and willem ends up dying in it and it's like what and then we find out that Will- Willem was a woman the entire time. Yeah. And then, like, all of this backs, all of this history of her just, like, becomes exposed. And it's like, it was so, because it changes, it, not only, not only knowing, obviously, what the gender of a character was changes when you thought it was one, but now it's the other. But, it, like, it tells such a larger story about what that character was doing the entire time, like how precise they were with every single one of their actions and how thought out they had to be and how secretive they had to be. And I think there was even a couple of times where there were chances where we might, we, the party members may have found out that she was a woman and that she had other things going on. But like 
it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, which is what makes a good NPC. And it's, and at the end of the day, it kind of tells, it talks into what D and D is, is as a game, which is there's so much going on in the background that just having these tiny, minute little pieces of information drop just completely expands on the history and the world that you're living in that like, what did this, I mean, because she kind of came off to off to us as like, she was this high elf. She was kind of part of royalty. Like she was specially trained, like way better than she should have been hanging out with us. Cause we were just a bunch of ruffians, like that were picked up out of a prison, you know? And the fact that she was, she had such a rich history that we knew nothing of until like these these little bits of information that just drop like just weighs so much more heavily on the story that no like me just reading verbatim what I wrote to you and to my players could ever do right and that's all about making them interesting and and I think it's important to hide things but make them known yet still hidden. Um, if you can do that when it's time for the real reveal, the longer it's happened, the more someone, Oh, I knew it. Somebody's going to say that inevitably. And that is awesome. I've been in games like that and where, man, I knew it. I knew something was up and you've got to stand up out of your seat and you've got to take that pose of like, I can't, fucking believe it that was awesome to get to that point as a dm you can sit down and lean back and relax and feel like you've just had a job well done and that's what i go for because you've had that moment in my game and so have some of the other players it doesn't happen every game because it's quite a feat to pull off even for an experienced dm but if you know that you can build a clever interesting concepts for npcs that's where it begins in my opinion that's where it starts right there the whole story and like you said about willem that whole story about her was so much more that we could have ran another whole game about willem there was so much there in her backstory you could have you could have read another book just about her it it kind of it kind of begs like can we read a book about how she came to be? Like, who knows? Maybe one day I will write that. I don't know. But um, but that's the feeling I wanted to go for. I wanted to make her interesting. To make her... You guys kept her around. It kind of forced my hand to keep her around, even though I was almost ready to write her out several times. You, you guys forced that reveal to come at the end by being so interested in her. We needed her. <laughs> Need was a strong word, but yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the D and D four twenty podcast. For everything D and D four twenty related, check out D and D four twenty dot com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D and D four twenty. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show. You can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.